adding channels to your communication is not just easy as I'm going to go on TikTok now. Adding channels to your communication is, okay, what happens if that gets compromised? What happens if something happens? Welcome back to the Zero Hour brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. I'm George Comedy. I'm Ashley Stone. And today we're talking executive protection or executives using social media. This has come up a lot this year. Um, you know, at the beginning before the pandemic, we saw a lot of reports of CEOs ditching social out of security fears. But then we had the pandemic, we had the murder of George Floyd. We had accountability demands from consumers asking CEOs where they stood on certain issues. It's just a very interesting push and pull between the business reward and the business risks. And teams are thinking about it from a communication perspective, how they talk about their values on social as an executive being a representative of their brand, but also what happens if their account gets hacked? If let's say they don't have a good password or, or somebody doxes them, what what do you do then? Who Who has the responsibility to protect that account? For sure. And recent news of uh, executive social media handles for sale on the uh, dark web is also encouraging. So uh, we decided, of course, to bring in an expert. And today's expert is Lee Carraher, the president and CEO of PR firm Double Forte, a name that uh, rings true to my heart as a former drummer, just means really loud. But um, they personally manage the uh, profiles for a lot of C-level people. And she's got a very interesting perspective on both the necessity to be on social, but also what do you do with these platforms where you effectively do not own the data? Um, and yeah, we get into a lot. She's really easy to talk to. Uh, it was really quite the pleasure. So without further ado, let's turn it over to Lee Carraher. Lee Carraher, welcome to the Zero Hour. Thank you for coming on on the show. We're so I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, as uh, Ashley and I had been discussing in the intro, we really wanted to tap into your expertise around uh, executive protection and executive mm -hmm. communications. And we'll we'll dig into that a little bit more. It's a broad topic, but I think it makes the most sense to start with the larger tension before we get into the details. I think the obvious argument that we hear, and I think is also reflected in the market is, um, it basically boils down to like, what are the business benefits to executives using social media and whether those outweigh security risks. And I wanted to bring up some concrete examples. So in February, so this is actually before the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, we'd seen a an article about a PwC global CEO survey that found at least for the UK, 48% of C-suite leaders had just cut off social. Like the risks to them were so great that they were like, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, and then later this year, Deloitte had come out with their global marketing trends report, which did include a lot of the sort of that found the vast majority of consumers and like four or five were concerned about how brands show up for current events like the pandemic, what were they doing to help, and also their take on social issues. And these these two concerns tend to be the issues where CEOs are asked to weigh in, make a statement on LinkedIn or Twitter, depending on where they're most prominent. So that's a lot of me talking, but I wanted to start there 
as someone who works with brands, including managing CEO accounts, what is your take on this, this tug of war? So I think that um, definitely there's a tug. I think you're absolutely right. There's a, a huge tug of war and part of it is um, generational and part of it is size-based too, right? So mm-hmm. younger CEOs, regardless of the company, the size are much more comfortable um, in having social media accounts and knowing how to use them and um, personally and professionally. And sometimes they're melded and sometimes they're not and all that kind of stuff, right? Older um, CEOs, and I'm just going to say 50 or older, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, Fortune 500, those kind of CEOs are less comfortable with it. And if you're publicly traded, then there's a whole other set of issues around what's material information, what isn't, and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the tug of war, you have to sort of set it up on if you're publicly traded versus if you're privately held. How big are you? And then how old are you, right? And how comfortable are you with the medium? Um, And I bet when they do, PwC does their report in the next February, 2021, Mm -hmm. that number will be 98% of CEOs are online and on social media in some way, shape, or form. And how we define social media also is a question, right? So LinkedIn, you know, we're not are we talking about Twitter? Are we talking about LinkedIn, Pinterest, TikTok? What are we talking about, right? Good point. And I think that from um, a corporate perspective, LinkedIn is no longer an option. You must be on LinkedIn. And even if it's a private account and you're not actively looking for networking, um, it is a way people, customers and consumers, sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different, right? Are looking they want to know who the CEO is and they want to know what mostly he and she uh, think about things going on. And that's really was already changing in business communication was already changing, right? Particularly around activism and activist CEOs. I mean, you can see it mostly in the B Corps where, um, you know, they're the alignment of values and doing good in the world and Mm -hmm. what you stand for is part of their gestalt. And you have to, you know, part of the thing is to talk about how it's all aligned, right? So they needed as many outlets as possible. And what the CEO stands for and what the, you know, the lowest man on the totem pole does are all in alignment. So that group was really starting it. With the pandemic, um, I mean, how many emails did we get in these unusual and unprecedented times? I mean, (laughs) oh my God. If I just want to get, I saw I want to see that word again, you know? (laughs) And it became even more important. And it wasn't just from the marketing team. It was like, no, no, no. What does Joe think? No, no, no. What does Sally think? Mm -hmm. Um, And are they aligned or not? That coupled with um, really the election in 2020. I mean, never before have we seen CEOs of publicly and privately traded, privately held companies band together to ask the president to basically demand the president do what's good for the economy and the country. Never, never, never. Indeed. And it's that happened, right? And it's only growing more and more and more CEOs are signing on to that thing. There's been since George Floyd um, death, there've been more and more CEO um, pledges on like, what are you doing for diversity? What are you doing to this de-escalate all this kind of stuff? So those, you know, we have the pandemic, we have George Floyd, BLM, and we have 
this administration and this election all sort of colliding at the same time while there was already a trend to, you know, what does the CEO think kind of stuff, right? Add on to that sort of, I don't like the term cancel culture. I like the term alignment culture. Like I'm not going to spend money where my money doesn't align with Mm -hmm. what I believe in. Um, And that goes all the way to the CEO. All those things together are, are have pushed us like 10 years ahead than where we were when that PwC um, report came out. So the tension is, oh my God, do I have to do this? Yeah, you do, right? You do for your, you know, you do for the economy now. You do for understand who's going to align with you and who is not, and who's going to buy from you who is not. And the easiest way to do that is through social media. The easiest yeah, it, way to get your message out is social media. Yeah, it strikes me as a incredible paradox, right? It's like mm-hmm. <laughs> in normal conditions, that sounds like you're walking into three different buzzsaws. Oh my Poli- God. Politics, I mean, social justice, and a worldwide. This pandemic, is actually right? a wig I have on because the buzzsaws <laughs> this year. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it's but you're what you're saying is it's actually the heightened conditions around those very risky events actually force is like a forcing mechanism. It's a forcing uh, mechanism. That's very, that's very interesting, right? And, and I think also for publicly traded companies, oh, yeah. you have to signal to your shareholders, like Absolutely. this is the side of the line that I'm on. I'm like pro stability yeah. or I'm pro- And I know, think whatever. that, um, frankly, no matter where you sit on the um, political spectrum, what our, pre- you know, President Trump, how he used Twitter, during his um, four years has just mandated change from all CEOs, mm-hmm. from leaders, right? Because if you believe in him, you know, if you agree with him, it's like, well, I'm, he's doing it, I better do it. If you disagree with him, it's, um, and this is really where those CEOs banded together regardless of their um, political affiliations, like, dude, we gotta, you know, our economy is tanking you know, the stock market is going up and down, up and down, up and down. You please concede, you know, because we can't take it anymore. Um, is that um, the other piece of that is I don't want to be, you know, in this vacuum of the people who are opposed to the current president, in this vacuum of leadership, these CEOs have become the moral compass for their companies, for their employees, for their partners, for their and their customers and their users. Um, and the easiest way to do that, and it's, uh, you know, and the fact that the president's doing it, like, actively, I mean, sometimes a thousand times a day, it feels like, mm-hmm. versus how President Obama used it, you know, because he was always B.O. with his own tweets and everybody else. It was much more judicious, right? It was just mm-hmm. much more normal. This is not normal uh, presidential activity. Um, and that has just moved everything forward. So I think all those things together, it was already happening, particularly around the B Corps, particularly around activists, particularly around aligned corporate purpose driven companies um, because they couldn't sell anything unless, you know, if you're an organic company and that company doesn't, and that CEO doesn't talk about the importance of being organic, the people who are really organic, they're not gonna buy from you. So that stuff was already happening. And then we had all these three things happen at the same time, like boom. So I don't think it's a choice anymore. Um, and they can demand accountability. Like your consumers can, can just put right. you on the spot. What's, what's your take on this? 
they put you on the spot all the time, mm-hmm. right? And the question becomes, like, how do you, do you respond? The question is not if you should broadcast, right, on social media. The question really is, do you engage on social media? There's a big mm-hmm. difference between mm-hmm. broadcasting, you know, and engaging, right? And that actually is the bigger question, frankly. In my, you know, going forward, that'll be the bigger question. The question was not not to be, what am I going to do? The question is, what am I not going to do on social media? <laughs> and for, um, you know, I think Jack Dorsey is a great example. He doesn't really engage at all, right? He broadcasts. Here's our decision. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's probably where most CEOs are going to land. Not engaging, right? Not liking. They're not going to go in there and like and retweet and all. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be the way to go forward uh, for CEOs or some C. I mean, other C suite levels make sense, but CEOs and CFOs doesn't make sense for the engagement. Mm-hmm. And then how do we? Um, and then, then the communication team takes over the engagement piece because um, it's super important listening, right? Super important listening. We had a client who, um, you know, lots, it's been quite a year. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have several clients who were, you know, CEOs were not online and now they're all, they're all there um, in different way. You know, some are like full on TikTok, the whole thing. Others are, you know, I'm only going to do LinkedIn once a month kind of thing. Um, but they've all moved, which is great news. Um, and but we had a client who um, moved, who joined the BLM movement, did the black screen thing, mm-hmm. right, and then put into place a a program that was going. You know, they 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 doubled down on this, and then this is this is who they're going. This is what they stand for. So every time something big happened, they were going to stand for it. Well, you know, the first time they did it, didn't get paid attention to, right? By the fourth, by the Kenosha um, event, which mm-hmm. was now, I guess that was three months later. Yep. That's well, the right. trolls had gotten organized, right? So the company puts up a, it wasn't the CEO, it was the company, puts mm-hmm. up a post on Instagram and, you know, got a lot of negative posts. And I get the call and I'm looking, you know, like, what do we do? What do we do? We take it down. I'm like, no, you don't take it down. You can't take it down. Right. Yeah. And once you make a stand, you have to know that people who are opposed to your stand will seek you out and trolls, they are organized for this. Right. And so I, I we did sort of research on who was trolling. None of those people were customers. They're not yeah. one of them were users. They weren't even available where these things were. And they'd never, you know, they weren't, we knew they hadn't bought online because we tracked it down. It's easy to, you know, the thing about it, we can, it's easy to find stuff. Yeah. And so it was really, for them, it was a moment where like, we're doing the right thing. Not everybody likes it when you do the right thing, right? Um, and then- Well, I think, about, I think about like Nike and Colin Kaepernick or Patagonia and the Bear Ears Monument. They yeah. just knew like, mm-hmm. I, I'm i just not going to have this cross-section of customer. This and is they what don't we care. stand for. Right. And this is who we're tracking yeah. toward. And this company came to that conclusion too, right? But it had never been criticized before. Um, because there was no mechanism for them to be criticized, mm-hmm. like to them to their faith, right? And that's really the thing. We have to get used to being criticized. We have to u- get used to standing in what we believe in, and um, and that's the piece about making the alignment. Right? Hiding is not possible. 
right? And, the, and a lot of the companies, a lot of CEOs are like, well, we're, you know, we have these nice values, but we really don't live up to them. Well, if you're not living up to your values, you're not going to have a business going forward. Hmm. And it may take a while to yeah. unravel, right? But we'll see the, we see it. We already mm-hmm. see it. I used my hand to do a downward motion, forgetting that we're not. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got it. Rapid, so rapid, like, rapid decrease. Rapid decrease. And particularly in, in consumer goods companies when there's so mm-hmm. many options. Money is different. Financial services is, is a bit different. But in, in consumer products, things you put in your body, you put in your mouth, you use every day, there's always an option. Mm-hmm. There's not one option for anything. Yeah. Um, and and more and more consumers and partners are want to align with companies that are, are aligned with their values because it's less, it's easier. Yeah. <laughs> it is so much easier to do business when you're all aligned. That's a different conversation. In terms of security for the conversation, though, it's not a choice. And the issue is, you know, do you use it a broadcast or do you use it to engage? And then the the issue on the hacking. So Double Forte, we manage, I don't know, 20 C-level accounts uh, on LinkedIn and then some Twitter accounts and some Instagram accounts for CEOs and all kinds of stuff. And we monitor it. It is exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting because there is no, um, it never ends, number one, and Mm -hmm. it never takes a break, number two. And it's super expensive for companies to do this outside. I mean, the bigger, higher profile you have, the more expensive it is to make sure that you know what's going on. Because you want to make sure, like, for instance, on Twitter or on Facebook, even on LinkedIn, you know, if you're having, I mean, I'm a proponent for comments of being allowed mm-hmm. in general. It's not always true, but in general. And, you know, bad comments, negative comments that you're not monitoring, like you went to bed. And then somebody around the country, around the world's like, I don't like how you're using chocolate that was, you know, fielded by slave labor. And all of a sudden it's a thousand people saying, I'm never going to eat your chocolate again. Um, It's exhausting. Um, So, and then, and then the people, you know, the opponents will do anything to take you down and it's happened, right? We've had accounts crashed, accounts hacked, um, take, you know, have to claim them back. so security won't be, it's not an option anymore. I mean, the whole thing is not an option anymore. You must communicate through social media. Mm-hmm. How do you secure it? Either manually, like somebody like us, or automatically with a, a, a product like yours, a service like yours. And it's probably a combination of both because there's important stuff that happens that you want to listen to. You can't discard everything just because you don't like it, right? And some people yeah. can't, some people don't want to discern the difference between trolling and, and, um, and uh, what's the word? Um, real feedback. Mm-hmm. But you don't <laughs> want to make, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, your accounts are secure. Like who has access to that? So in my company, we might have five or six, you know, if I have the access, that means four of the people have access because no one ever lets me do anything by myself. No. <laughs> and, and you don't and hire an agency for one person right. to do it, yeah. right? You hire yeah. an agency so a team of people can do it. So um, 
it's, you know, and if you go in through a back, you know, if you go and I think George, we talked about this before, you go in from a personal Facebook page through the administration on the backside, come our way around and all of a sudden you have all the keys and there goes all the money in your Facebook advertising account. Yeah, we've, we've so seen there's that. There's a yeah. lot of things to think about. Right. And, you know, it's clear you've made this doing business. The expectation is you're online. You have to worry about the trolls, but you're talking about the security risks Mm -hmm. as well. So could you share any examples of attacks that you've seen on executive accounts? I can't tell you the name of the company, but I can tell you examples (laughs) where um, we had a CEO who wasn't very active himself, um, but had become more active as as terms of a broadcaster. And we allowed comments um, and um, someone associated with him was a bad actor. And so, you know, the person that that actor impacted traced him, traced it all the way back to the CEO and then started a um, boycott campaign because the bad actor was related to the CEO of this food company. Um, and then, and there was no, we didn't respond one, because we didn't see it, because it happened on a weekend, of course. And nothing ever happens, at, you know, crisis never happens 10 o'clock on Monday, right? It's always like, <laughs> midnight on Saturday night. <laughs> and he had been so dormant. Like, nothing was happening on this page. Yeah. We were just getting likes and shares. But, you know, we were, it was a, it, it was a building campaign. It was going to take at least two years to get there. But then this bad actor thing happened. And then um, it was, we didn't. We hadn't made those um, keys. It was easy to hack, right? So all of a sudden, the CEO is posting things about, you know, he's dead to me. This kind of stuff. I'm like, right. oh that? no! Oh, <laughs> so a takeover account. It was like a a takeover, a take- mm-hmm. right? And then, so I'm like, I'm pretty sure I didn't say this. I knew that this hadn't happened. Um, and for some, I mean, I'm not usually the one who gets alerted, but for some reason, I was that in that time of period, I'm like, that did not happen. And then we go in and we're like, oh, and so we changed everything, you know, made it much tighter. You cannot, you know, you can't undo it. Depending on the profile of your company, if you're Jamie Diamond, Yeah. Oh my God. You can move the stock market. You could move more than that, right? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, oh my God. And how long it took to find out, right? Yeah. And particularly for smaller companies, so Double Forte works with, you know, uh, we have a couple of public trade companies, but we in general work with smaller companies because we're a small company ourselves. Um, but we have experience with um, publicly traded companies. Uh, moving the market is serious crap. That is serious stuff. Yeah. And you should never um, take for granted that someone doesn't want to t- tank your stock. Yeah. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've talked with a, a Carnegie fellow earlier this year and he's you know, there are two different scenarios, either they pump up the stock and then they dump it or they uh, short it, you know, (laughs) it's like, uh, there's, there's any manner. And I think for the smaller companies, the risks are actually in some ways larger, as John Bateman, this fellow had pointed out, because you only have a a febrile grip on your market, right? You're just growing your market. So if it slips, it's much harder to gain back. Whereas like a a JP Morgan or a Citibank, like they have the resources of the world to, and they also have your money. So (laughs) as long as someone doesn't take it from them, right. It's it's a different, like like I said earlier, financial service is a little different and they have, you know, the bigger the resources, the more you have. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But even for a company, you know, big companies like a Nike or Patagonia, which I, you know, it's not, it's big brand. I would say yeah. Patagonia is a really big brand, right? Um, they're not, um, the thing about, and I think probably it's more true for Patagonia than it is for Nike. If something out of alignment came out of, um, out of a Patagonia, their, their devotees would be like, something's wrong. Yes, for sure. Right? They've, built, they've built up a body of work. <laughs> they right? have, the credibility a body, they have avid fans who wear their 20-year-old Patagonias with pride, um, get them fixed, you know, don't buy new, all that kind of stuff. If it happened on Nike, a company that has had a checkered past on some stuff, people might not be as avid mm -hmm. um, about it. So I think, um, which is where that value thing really comes in alignment, right? Because if if people know who you are, this is the whole point about CEOs being online. If people know who you are, what you stand for, what how you treat your people, how you know this, how you make decisions, and and um, Tony Shea is a great example of that. You know, CEO of Zappos who recently died, mm -hmm. yeah. so tragically. I mean, everyone knew what he stand for. Right. And he had, I mean, sometimes he had these really funny, you know, we're so sorry, you know, call us and we'll sing to you. You know, clearly the man, I mean, he admitted to have, having been drunk that night, but it wasn't even, people didn't even take it. Of course, well, I'm going to call him right now and tell him, please sing to me because that was so in line with what they did. Right. So that alignment and what That's consumers and partners are looking for, they know, they know. So that's so in some, in some, done. right. And, and <laughs> yeah. so in some ways that social media use is actually Help. proactive and preventive, right? So if you Absolutely. build up that body of work, you can fall right. back on it rather than. And Tony, she's a good example. He was young. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, totally vanguard, um, you know, um, multiple, you know, serial entrepreneur doing things totally different, you know, really uh, just a different kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and if you have that, you know, Patagonia is a great example of that. Zappos is a great example of that. And there are lots, you know, there are other examples. Uh, ben and Jerry's is a great example yeah. of that. You know, when you know when people stand for, when something comes out on social media that is not aligned, you'll, your fans will like rise up for you, right? Yeah. And yes. And then I guess the other question, especially for these mid-sized companies is sometimes there's an, I don't know if it's an overlap, but there's an accelerant between the CEO's brand equity and the company's. Yes. I think of like, um, I can't ever remember her name, the lady from Magnolia. Oh, yeah, Joanne. That's it, yes. Yeah, jo yeah right, because she's got her own presence Thanks. and values, which is an overlay onto, and oh, wow. anything that they get into personally, you know, can uh, affect. And I, I say that because my brother works for, a company which I will not name, but the CEO there also has a strong stake in being like a strong female entrepreneur. That's like mm -hmm. her brand, which is an extension of the the larger absolutely. Brand. So and you know, we I could there's thousands of examples like that, mm -hmm. thousands of them, um, and you know, smaller companies to larger companies. I think you know, when um, Meg Whitman was the CEO of eBay, I mean, it was definitely. I mean, her profile was so large right? Um, and she was one of very few women in her role at the beginning of the dot-com boom, you know, and in this new thing called a marketplace, right? All these things. And it was definitely, she was very tied to eBay, which she didn't create, right? And the founders of eBay were less tied to eBay than she was, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, and she was, 
Um, and that was really before, I mean, she was there before really social media took off, but when it did, um, you know, she had already built up such a media presence um, that what came out on social media was a lot, eBay stood for, she stood for eBay and eBay stood for her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing you and I had touched on is also not only the values as it reflects to consumers, but you know, there's this race for talent, right? It's like, oh my people, gosh. it's not just consumers as people will, won't work for you if they will not. And I've written a couple books on this topic and, you know, no matter what the economy, the top 20% of, um, talent is always in play. Mm-hmm. Always. We're always looking for the top 20%, no matter how big your company is. And uh, good economy, bad economy, always with that top 20%. And that top 20% increasingly can choose where they want to work. And mm-hmm. now with what's happened this year with the pandemic and people working remotely from all over the place, um, the freedom to be uh, in one place and work for a company that's headquartered somewhere else has, that has also moved forward at least a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the, the top 20% of talent will not work for someone they don't want to, even if they're five, five chains down the line. Like yeah. a, and that's, that's, that's like the, right. And it's, you know, product against product is one thing, but it's the talent that's going to. The talent's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's already, it's, you know, it's an arm, and the arms race for talent is, you know, particularly in Silicon Valley, you know, the ping pong table, the laundry <laughs> service, the nap rooms. This yeah. is not what people really care about. What really right. people care about is how are they going to treat me? How are they going to make decisions? Um, how, oh, they treat their customers like that? Well, how do they treat their people then? You know, mm-hmm. that is how people are making decisions today. And that, is, you know, it's not necessarily not always been true, right? But it's prevailing today. And that really started with, you know, what we call the millennials who are today 25, I guess, 25 to 42 or something like that. Um, because their parents, the boomers and um, some Xers, you know, got screwed in 2001 and then in 2008, right? So in the whole purposeful life and the why Simon Sinek talks about the why Mm -hmm. Um, this is prevailing. Oprah Winfrey has done more to change corporate culture than any other being. Right. (laughs) I mean, truly, I really believe it, you know, 20 years of what do you stand for, you know, from television. Mm -hmm. Um, And now people, you know, they know, we know we're through how many. So this is my sixth as a leader in a company, sixth downturn, Oh, right. Kind of global account. Like people want to know what you're going to do when the shit hits the fan. Excuse my language. Sorry, you'll have to beep that. Um, Uncensored. Yeah. Beep, beep. Um, It's not a choice. What do you stand for? Because you're never going to get the top 20. You know, you don't want the people who just show up and plug it and then leave. I call them the 429ers, you know. 4.30 is the time that they're racing at the desk. Click 4.29, right? They're waiting. And then don't really have a punch card, but you know what I mean, right? right. Yes. 4.29ers are not your top 20%. Your top 20% show up early. They sh- they care. They're doing 80% of the work um, or 80% of the results. Mm-hmm. And if, you're, um, if you can't get them, go work for somebody else. Yeah. 
So yeah, I want to I want to turn back to the to the crisis communications mm-hmm. um, because as everyone should know, if they don't know already, you don't plan your crisis communication strategy in the crisis. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> yes, Sometimes yes. people do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 in our previous conversation, you had mentioned that one pillar of that is a secure line of communication. Absolutely. And I was hoping you could expand on that idea because, sure. uh, yeah, it's just, it strikes me as very interesting. So I think that um, in communication, we know a crisis is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a range of kinds of crisis, crisis you can control and crisis at your own fault and everything in between, Right. And it will happen. There is no company who will not have a crisis. It may not happen today. It might happen in 15 years, whatever it is, right? And um, if you have a crisis that really, um, and a crisis, you know, I like to say, someone says, Lee, it's a crisis. And I'm like, could somebody die? That's a crisis. But um, there are crises that could take your company out, right? Um, mm-hmm. And a good, a good example of that would be um, in the food industry, which, it's just an easy example, is when um, there's a food recall because of E. coli mm. or because of salmonella, right? Things that are preventable. Uh, well, that's another story. So, but if you're not ready for it, your whole brand could go down and you could lose your supply chain. If you lose the supply chain, you don't have product. I mean, it's a whole, or, there are or a lot your, of business things. Or the blame is being cast on you for something in the supply chain, right? You're Correct. Right. So for instance, um, we work for a company in the, I don't know if you recall the peanut butter salmonella thing mm-hmm. about eight or nine years ago, when there was this dirty pe- peanut, basically a dirty peanut plant. Um, and they had salmonella in their peanut butter and it got into products. And our client who was an organic company actually sourced peanut butter from there was our number one ingredient across their line. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't, that peanut butter didn't come off the organic line, but what they found out was that the organic line wasn't that organic anymore. <laughs> and so all nice. of the product coming out of this for peanuts out of nine, they have 92 ingredients. That company has 92 ingredients. One ingredient could have taken the whole company down, right? So mm-hmm. they had a plan, right? And so the part of the plan is, okay, this thing's happened. You have a protocol who for each different kind of of crisis. Is it a personal crisis? Is it a weather, you know, is it a, 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 a act of God crisis? Yeah. Is, it, is it a food, you know, is it a recall? It, you, know, you, you chart all these things out. And then you chart for each of them, we give them a grade of, you know, severity, like a DEF CON grade. Some clients don't like the DEF CON, but I like <laughs> the DEF CON. I'm all about that movie. So <laughs> you give them a DEF CON grade and, you know, at a DEF CON one, which is the highest, you know, what in the DEFCON 5. So then, and then what is the plan, internal communication, who needs to know, external customers, all that kind of stuff. And then who needs to be involved in that, in the company and with external sources. So usually external counsel, risk, security, and communication are also usually internal and external. Um, and then that needs to be, you should hopefully determine those things before something happens, right? And then how do you make sure those are secure? So what's your, in the email, you know, five or six years ago, um, we would have sometimes not taken things off, only done things on email and not on text. Mm -hmm. We would have, and today, right, we could be talking through Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, texting, um, phone, 
phone, email, um, Slack, chat. I mean, there's so many things, right? right you could be yeah. doing. So, you know, you set up your Slack channels with, with lockdown, right? Um, but that doesn't mean they can't get hacked. That just right. means it's a little harder to get hacked, right? <laughs> and then you determine what things can be and cannot be in which, in which um, modes of communication. So texting, not okay. Slack, not okay. Email is pretty much the most secure thing you could do today. And some, or, you know, and then usually the lawyer should come in and say, you have to keep all your emails, make sure you put their things on the bottom, you know, that these are confidential, confidential or um, is under, under um, clauses, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But you have, you want to make sure everybody knows how to communicate with what mode and what's not allowed. So no social media should be allowed. None, none. And texting usually, you know, texting to get someone on the phone is okay, (laughs) but not to text. Interesting. Wow. But you want to, if you're thinking about this beforehand, like, oh, I'm on Facebook. Oh, hi, Joe. Listen, we have a problem. Can you come over? (laughs) No. But it's happened. It absolutely happens because you think yeah. I'm on Facebook or I'm on I'm on my phone. I'm on Twitter. I'm like, hey, dude, call me. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to manage that psychology because the that media landscape is so fractured. Also, so fractured. And functionality, we to, right? What do you we, own? Mm-hmm. Well, we put it down to this: what do you own, and what's on someone else's platform? Right. And if you don't own it, and I'll put the email in the we own it category. <laughs> because it can, it can be so secure. Um, and there's obviously levels of security in email, but I put the email in what we own. Everything else you don't own. You don't own the algorithm. You don't own LinkedIn. You don't own Facebook or anything. You might own your phone. Texting though, I mean, it's not so great to put thing in text because then yeah. you can't, you might lose somebody in the string. And then it's really important from a corporate communication perspective that everybody has the same information all the time in that small pod of who's important. Well, and that's interesting. You also brought up Slack Um, just as a side note, you know, what was interesting at the, I guess it was December last year. I mean, it's so hard to imagine the world before COVID, but right (laughs) before that it was, uh, you know, when it was the Slack messages that were exposed at Away, the luggage company, yep. you know, it, that wasn't, a, that was an, a, a misalignment of values and it didn't happen on a public channel, so-called. Right. It happened internally and people were just angry about being berated. So mm-hmm. that's, an, that's an interesting point. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. Like I started Double Forte in 2002 before Twitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I started my career, we used to fax. Right. <laughs> Maybe you remember this thing called the facts. <laughs> right. Ashley, you may be too young. No, I, I know you what may be too young. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, crazy stuff. And um, today, just keeping this the streams, um, and that's why in social media for companies, like for a crisis, where do you need to? You know, then you figure out where do you need to be, mm-hmm. right? So I need. Oh, if I have a large Facebook group, is it public or is it a page? Is, do I have a large Instagram following? And then, and then you will have no matter what, you're going to have people who come at you. And the important thing from a communication perspective is to get those people into a private situation as fast as possible. 
right and now. I've also seen the different channels used. So I've seen instances where like a Facebook account has been hacked and they use like Twitter to tell their consumers like exactly. we're trying to handle this fire over here. Don't right. so, do Facebook right now. Well, and that's another part of the, the plan, right? Is mm-hmm. what happens if, it, you know, Pinterest, which, you know, people sort of think of it, the redheaded stepchild, which is the most profitable thing you can do on social media right now right. <laughs> from a product perspective. You know, um, if something happens on Pinterest, well, how are we going to get to those? How are we going to get people, right? And you have to wrap people around. Like not everybody on Pinterest is on Twitter. Not everybody on Twitter right. is on Facebook. Not everybody on yeah, Facebook sure. is on Instagram. So as adding channels to your communication is not just easy as I'm going to go on TikTok now. Adding channels to your communication is, okay, what happens if that gets compromised? What happens if something happens? What happens if something bad happens on TikTok, which, you know, most of TikTok is in its own world. And sometimes it crosses over to, the videos cross over to mostly Instagram and Twitter. But then, I mean, all the, like parlor, I mean, everything else. So it's not as easy as just saying, oh, I need to be on TikTok or I need to be on Instagram. It's like, okay, how are we going to make, who are you trying to reach? Where are they? And then if something happens, you need, you want to have the mindset. Okay. Again, I don't own this. I don't own this platform. So if I don't own it, what am I going to do if something happens? And then the easiest way to think about it is like the Instagram um, algorithms, right? The algorithm changes and then all these influencers don't make any money. Well, you don't have a say. It's not your business. Instagram is not your business. You have an account, right? And so thinking about it from that perspective, what you own and what you don't um, is also important from a secure, not only from a messaging perspective, but from a security perspective. Yeah. With, with all of these different accounts that you have for executives and brands, I'm, I'm wondering at what point do people come to you for your services and who, who's coming to you and asking for support for these executive accounts? Is it the executives? Do they have teams of people saying, okay, we need help managing this? It depends on the size, it depends on the, size <laughs> of the company and mm-hmm. what stage the company's in, right? So we work as startups to big companies who've been around for 40 years. So usually it depends on the size, what stage the company is in, um, what stage the company's in, what situation the company's in. Um, if we start with a client, we try to do an, we do an audit and say, what do we got, right? And um, where to CEO on social media is, is something we just, we mandated in our, all of our audits like three or four years ago. I can't remember when, but it never used to be in our audits. I mean, oh my God, <laughs> I never thought, what's Chris doing on social? Who cares? I care, you know? Um, so the people who, you know, you sometimes it's the brand people because they're get, they're not selling because their CEO's off having conspiracy theories we have a few examples of that happening right now right and um in the world it's like (laughs) oh my god someone did he go off his medication but uh (laughs) this is always my someone went off his meds um and then in a repair situation you know uber is an excellent example of this excellent example of this you know um I mean, I just want to use some words I can't use. What a cluster the whole thing was, right? And then on the fix it, the fix it uh, program for new CEO, new people, all that kind of stuff. I mean, 
the thing about that situation was they were using social media because Travis had used social media. They didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They would, you know, and I'm like, sorry, blanking on the man's name, but he wasn't very active on social media at um, the previous company, Expedia, whatever it was before yeah. that. And he had to become active because Travis had been active. Right. Oh yeah. Set, set a cultural. Yeah. It was the norm. It was the norm. So you don't have a choice, right? It's like, you can't just go dark after right. someone, your predecessor has been, there's not a choice. So it really depends on the situation. And, but we work with company, you know, people come to us all the time, small, medium, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I assume. And sometimes, but sometimes it's the CEO's office. Sometimes oh, it's the PR office. office. Sometimes it's the marketing yeah. office. It all depends on, again, um, our brand just tanked because literally, you know, our sales just tanked. We haven't done PR. We've only been doing social. We've, you know, da, 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 right. and the CEO did this and now we need a whole campaign, which of course I always say, yep. And, and usually it's a company who we might've talked to before, but they're like, oh, we can't afford PR. And I always like, well. And something happens and you come back. You should right? afford PR first because <laughs> of the things I'm talking about, because you think right. about all the ways to touch people. Um, and you know, I and but PR takes a long time, and a lot of yeah. companies don't want to wait for it. Yeah. I get it. And well, then I, I make the phone call. <laughs> right, and I, I assume when people come to you, they're coming because something's happened, or they want some help with some communications to help with the brand. But you've made it clear there's also all of these security risks. I'm wondering how much do they know or think about that when they're coming to you, unless yeah. an account's been taken over, and what they're needs not. to change. I mean, I think that we're at the beginning of this. I think we're totally at the beginning of, you know, they're worried about getting hacked, but it's not like, I don't think that it's a, a checkbox right now. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a growth part of the organization, they're just generally not wired to think about, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the break in the accelerator and they're team accelerators. (laughs) Well, and most companies don't have security people. Right. So, you know, uh, Google and YouTube and Roku, you know, those companies have security, full on security people around everything, personnel, mm-hmm. f- facilities, online, everything. Most companies don't have security. They're counting on their IT guys to lock down and not be able to be hacked. Right. Or they're outsourced. Yeah. Well, and we've That's also really- run into this question of responsibilities. Right. Because yeah. if it's marketing coming to you, they're considered the owners of social media. Right they don't think of themselves as owning the risk no. or infrastructure. They're just like, it's, that's always going to be, IT. so there's a lot of confusion generally. There's a lot of confusion because it's not, so, you know, for a company like ours, we come in and go, we have, you know, let's lock these things down. And we really haven't had a security like product, right? We've mm-hmm. said, let's limit the number of people. Let's make everything harder to get into. If you have to get into the password document, there's going to be a two part, you know, two-step uh, verification. You know, we've done all these other things, but we haven't said, okay, let's get a security product in here to make sure. I mean, cause I have, you know, until George, I talked to Lisa, I didn't even know it existed. Right. So yeah. Sorry. I mean, I would ask, a, <laughs> I asked a room full of brand marketers, like, what do you do if somebody takes over one of your accounts? Yeah. No one asks a, that question. And I got a blank stare and I was like, well, who has the passwords? And, they were like, I think the agencies do. I was like, so the channel that you are running yeah. millions of dollars in paid media through, that's in a spreadsheet in an, an office. And you don't With even an know. agency, right. which probably has interns doing some work yes. on it. Yep. Right. I mean, truly. And, you know, 
if you're a company and you have an agency, never have the agency only have, you know, ever. We never allow our agent, our clients not to have the passwords. We are not, and we have a, in our contract, people are like, Lee, your contract's sort of weird. I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, I've been there. Uh, our contract requires them to have, you know, they have to give us access, right? But we don't own them. And if right, we purchase things for them, they immediately have to take them over, right? Because we don't want that. I mean, it's just too hard. It's just too yeah. hard. Right. And the own, it, this is also about ownership, right? What do you own? You know, and sometimes with a, in a lot more agencies are doing, you know, a lot more companies are going away from agencies of record, particularly in advertising, mm-hmm. going away from agencies of record where there'd be one firm and moving to project agencies where there might be five firms worth working with a big company all at the same time using the same channels that's right right you could be doing some real world activation through instagram live yeah. but there's another agency running ads yeah. facebook ads manager so you may it's... have five or six agencies who have access to because they're Woof. working you're doing things all the time they're big companies they have lots of different you know think about a company that has lots of different brands you know think mm-hmm. about an auto company or like a or like a procter and gamble it's like yeah. thousands oh my gosh thousands <laughs> right so um, you may have five or six different companies. So then, sorry, but if you have your eight, you know, five different advertising agencies, then you have your digital firm, then you have your PR firm. Sometimes the PR firm might be aligned with the advertising firm on one product, right? So you might have 20 to 40 outside firms having your access, your um, accounts. And if, if that's true, maybe not for the CEO account, but for the other company account, Interns are in there, and I don't mean to disparage interns, but you're talking about someone right. who not, may not even be um, employed yet. Right. Yeah. Yikes. Right? So that's how agencies work. Yeah. So you know, it is a little nutty that, um, and I came, I was in house at Sega of America when um, before Sega got out of the hardware business, and you know, I, I ran customer service too. And that's where I was just like, that's where my mindset of protect, you know, <laughs> gird your loins comes from because <laughs> everybody wanted a piece of Sega and Sonic. Right. And, yeah. and people would just, yeah. people would come into our building and say, Hey, I'm here. I'm like, who are you? You know? So that's my, I have a w- real world experience with a really popular brand being in charge of customer service and communication and events and people wackos coming out of the world because it was such a popular, it still is a popular um, brand. So my real, my experience comes from that, right? My point of view comes from having to manage that um, from a PR perspective. Um, and in P, in general, PR people are control freaks. So, you know, how do we mitigate um, losing control is to plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to, we're coming up on time here, so I want to wrap up we on what's We can talk forever, probably, George and Ashley, yeah. seriously. <laughs> Perfect. Let's what, make this what, an all-day pod. Yeah, I want to <laughs> – it's it's maybe sounds like a banal point, but you've, you've said several times it's like what you own, and, and previously when we were talking, you said you don't own your data. And, um, you know, data management is just not sexy. But it's also like data is the thing that's worth the most. That's why people are going to hack your account because if yes. you imagine the types of conversations that might be – in the DMs, you know, between C-level people, you know, there's, there's a lot there or in a Slack instance or whatever, like that's, that's what they want is the data. I mean, I say, open your newspaper, just go online to a newspaper and you could, there's every, every newspaper in the country right now, online or in paper has a story like that right now. Right. And also in, in crisis management, you need like 
a running record of all the things that you're doing. We, Absolutely. We took this action and then they said this and then we did that. And like, because just like, what is the record keep? I mean, it sounds banal, the right? The record but it's keeping like, is super important, right? Because right. for any crisis, um, you're probably working with counsel mm-hmm. and counsel has a risk aversion of a million, right? right? They're paid to. <laughs> right. And, you know, in PR and, and counsel usually disagree on a lot, um, except that they're trying to care for their clients, right? <laughs> or their companies. Um, so making sure, sh- you know, uh, you have to be able to prove that you took the right steps, that you in, 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 um, involved the right people and, you know, ask the right questions at every moment. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as you move into crisis, there is nothing you can delete, right? And this is the biggest mistake people make Let's delete those emails. Don't delete anything. If you can, if your mother can't read your email, go have a conversation. Seriously, right? right? Um, because the liability in any crisis, um, because by definition, a crisis could take you down. Mm-hmm. So a crisis, again, is not because you forgot something and, oh, I got to get it done by Monday, right? That's not a crisis. We get those calls too, but <clears throat> they're not crises. A crisis, by definition, could take you down. Mm-hmm. Right, it hurt you, hurt you or somebody else. That's a crisis. So, um, and if that's the case, if you have a crisis, then someone is interested in making sure that you do the right thing. And if you and also not, just like in our litigious society, if you do not do the right thing, you should expect a lawsuit. And if you do do the right thing, you should expect a lawsuit, <laughs> as we have evidenced in the last thirty days. <laughs> well, I I would also say. Like to your point about food, um, I worked for, uh, when I was at an agency, one of my uh, clients was an insurance company, but like they did their customer service through Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, on the wall and also Facebook Messenger. And the number of full-time employees that they had to sustain to just record all the conversations, because it's not like, what what happened with Susie three months ago when she oh, complained about that policy? It. You're going to say like, oh, let me go subpoena Facebook. For right. No, no. You got to capture it because it might go away. You capture it. You throw it into a Google. Well, now you throw it into Google Doc. Right. And then you keep this thread. I mean, you have to capture all this stuff and print it out. I mean, that's right. really but what I, you have to do today. But, but it's this weird paradox of these hyper modern channels operating at mm-hmm. this massive volume and velocity. And full-time human beings oh, yeah. screen grabbing stuff and dumping it and trying to analyze like the number of yeah. responses in Excel. And like, it's like, that is so manual. What are you doing? And there are, you know, there are social media monitoring, you know, lots of social mm-hmm. media monitoring oh, sure. services, all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't, um, but they don't keep everything. Right. And the data lives on a server somewhere. Somewhere else. Cloud. Like, again, you don't own. Right. So, <laughs> you know, only those, platforms own so those platforms own their own stuff mm-hmm. twitter owns its own stuff facebook owns its own stuff but you right. don't own what's on facebook right so and if you're counting on and you should i mean these are great i mean these are great channels to have consumer and customer and partner communication with they're super important because you need to surround people with where they are and um so they're very important they're not going to they're not going to go away as communication channels, but there's got to be a better way to make sure that those communication channels can be um, 
better for when things aren't go don't go well because something's going to go wrong. Right. Period. No matter who you are, the, you know, I have one customer. Yeah, something will count on it. You know, something's going to go wrong. That's just the nature of business. That's in the human nature, right? And the other part is the 1% of terrible people who will do anything they can to get into that wet, who to expose or to leverage that, that mistake, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's where the risk is. Cool. Well, Lee, as you said, we could talk all day. <laughs> I don't know if this was useful or not, but I had a good time. <laughs> no, this is this is a great perspective. Um, we talk so often with the security side, but not like the other side that's doing the managing or has the business imperative mm-hmm. to do it. So it's yeah. a very welcome conversation. Thank you again for taking the time out of your day. And um, we will talk again soon, I hope. I hope. So good to see you guys. And I really enjoyed the conversation, Ashley and George. Thanks for joining. Thank you. And that wraps another episode of The Zero Hour brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. Many thanks to Kai Crow-Getty for sound design and post-production, to Matthias Cefaletti for our theme music, and as ever, to our guests for lending their valuable time and expertise and insights. Stay safe, stay strong. This is The Zero Hour, signing off. Until next time.